Hi everyone, today I'm thrilled to introduce Tara Wrights. Tara is a modern day shaman and Reiki master with a special interest in trauma and PTSD. She has a great passion for working with the men and women of our military who've experienced trauma, as well as anyone on a journey towards healing. Today we'd like to open up a conversation regarding trauma in general, with a special consideration for women who've experienced trauma during pregnancy, labor and delivery, or are journeying through postpartum post-traumatic stress. Tara, thanks so much for joining me today. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So Tara, you have a passion for working with military men and women who've experienced trauma and PTSD. How did you get into that work? Mm. Um, I mean, it definitely started off with a personal experience. Um, my oldest brother had served in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And when he returned, he was completely different. Um, he held a lot of anger. He reacted very quickly, like he couldn't get off that fight mode in the fight and flight mode. Um, and I mean, I was a senior when all this happened, a senior in high school, and I wanted to be there for him and help him, but I had no idea. No one in our community, in our family, knew how to be there for those who experienced warfare and such severe trauma. So it was actually in my college years, um, in my community college for massage therapy, that we had learned about Eastern medicine, Eastern techniques such as Reiki. And from that moment on, I knew that I had such a profound experience with Reiki that I knew that even he could have a profound experience. So that was my yeah. introduction to trauma and PTSD. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And when we were talking on the phone before, um, I mentioned that like your why is so powerful, like having that connection with your brother and wanting to be able to help him has led you into this whole arena of being able to help so many more people. And that's such a powerful entrance into something that you consider a career and something that you're passionate about. So that's really awesome. So you're talking about kind of your brother and his war experience after he came home, had a hard time coming out of that fight or flight, that sympathetic mode. Um, can you discuss a little bit what that looked like, either in his case or in someone else's? Just what that um, overload looks like. Yeah, like he had a hard time sleeping. He was very reactive in, situ in any situation. He was very like reactive. But when it comes to socially, he was very distant. Um, he kept to himself a lot. I mean, all three of us siblings were pretty chill and laid back, but for him to be distant, even with his own siblings, was very uh, different. Um, he couldn't handle certain sounds. Um, if it was very high-pitched, he would react to that as if it were a missile. Um, it was very reactive, mm -hmm. but also socially distant. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you'd mentioned to me before about how like you'd reached out to your brother and you were kind of telling him all these things that you'd been studying and learning and these things that you could offer to help him heal. 
and what was his uh, perception of that and was he receptive? Um, he was like, oh, okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very difficult, especially in Western society, because when people hear the word shaman, they think of like um, a witch doctor or voodoo, you know, something that's like mystical, even though it's been around longer than prescriptions and doctors themselves. Um, it's very difficult because we don't have that in our community. We don't talk about it. We don't share it. Mm -hmm. We don't openly speak about it. Um, and so that's very difficult. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think that we're seeing a rise in people exploring kind of these alternative uh, methods of medicine, whether it's Eastern medicine or uh, just some subtle energy stuff, light work, energy work. So I think that uh, there is like a greater acceptance worldwide, but especially when you're, you know, trying to work with a family member. I mean, that's something that's like crazy hard in itself. <laughs> it's like, you're my sister. What are you telling me that you want to like, I've been to war, sis. Like, what are you going to do? Yes. But yeah, that's hard. And I like, and I've noticed too, because I've reached out to others as well, not just him. And it's very, I've noticed this with, I guess I would say, you know, the general community, but mostly like the military community, their ego is like up here because they don't want to show that they're hurting. Yeah. So their ego is so up here, but yet their hurting is like up there too. So yeah. they're like, well, what, what do I want to do? So they let the ego take over and be yeah. like, no, I don't want to do it because I can't see it. Yeah. And that's hard because you can't force someone to heal. Like something that we had been talking about before is that individual, they have to be prepared to put in the work to heal because healing is work. And we'll get into that a little bit later um, about the work that you do to help individuals who've experienced trauma heal from that. Um, so I mentioned in the intro and you also mentioned that you're a shaman, a modern day shaman. So I'd like to kind of dive into that. So what is shamanism and how can shamans help individuals who've experienced trauma? So shamanism, it's really many things. It's a spiritual practice, it's a healing philosophy, um, and it's really just a way of life as well. Um, in ancient shamans, they are teachers, they're philosophers, they're the priests, they're the healers, they're everything. But they were also living um, outside the community. So they were very in solitude. And they didn't talk to people like who were healthy. They only surrounded themselves with the ill, the sick, and the suffering. Um, so that's what the ancient healers do, whereas modern healers, we I mean, we surround ourselves, we get married, we have kids. Um, we don't do so much of the hallucinogenics. Uh, the ancient healers do. They always use the, the plants that would create hallucinogens. Whereas modern day shamans, we just have our clients tap into our own conscious minds. And we take them on what we call a journey. Some people can refer it as they got a meditation. Um, 
and then we would travel to uh, non-ordinary worlds is what we call it where animals can talk to you plants can talk to you but it's really their way of expressing hey this is what's wrong mm -hmm. um and it's not i mean what you even what i was taught was it's not the animal that you should be aware of but rather the meaning of the animal mm -hmm. so every animal has a meaning behind it and what they stand for um so like let's say cobra people freak out when they see a cobra right who's not afraid of a king cobra um but snakes are actually the animal of transformation um of health because just like a snake <laughs> just like a snake we are to shed our own skin shedding our own self in order to heal and be vibrant again so um yeah that's roughly what shamanism is yeah yeah <laughs> i can go into a very detailed description but i'll stay there i'll be yeah. brief sounds good yeah so i mean it's so interesting interesting because the mind is so powerful and i think one of the major conduits that the mind uses to address things that may be too hurtful or harmful for the mind to dwell on is to use symbolism and patterns and you know dreams things like that the mind finds other ways to communicate with us without you know blatantly in our face making us relive the trauma when we're not ready to so i think all those things could be really beneficial pathways especially if you have someone to lead you through that who kind of understands that symbolism of the mind and can you know guide them through the questions to further understand perhaps what their mind is trying to tell them right absolutely yeah cool um so yeah anything else that you wanted to mention about shamanism uh anything in general because this is super new to me i've never talked to a modern day shaman before <laughs> so this is a first uh, we go way back, Tara. So I knew you before you. Were. <laughs> I know we were like in elementary school, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually very interesting um, to even experience. I suggest everyone at least experience a session because shamanism isn't something that you can just read in a book and understand it and experience it. You have to really like be going through a healing process to truly understand how profound um, it really works. So even though you can't see it and touch it, um, that doesn't mean it's not powerful. That's yeah. no different than um acupuncture or you know dry needling yeah you can see it but it's not just the needles that do the work it's or the flow of energy that's so profound mm. awesome yeah that's a really good shamanism 101 so i appreciate <laughs> that thanks so much so we'll take this time we'll dive into our main discussion about trauma really and uh, the reason that Tara and I wanted to address trauma is because it is so prevalent. So Tara works specifically with military men and women. Uh, my population is mostly women's health clients. 
Um, so wanted to kind of frame this discussion in terms of addressing trauma uh, in general and then also how it relates to women who have experienced trauma during pregnancy, labor and delivery, and even um, postpartum. So birth trauma is estimated to occur in 33 to 34% of all births in the United States and Australia. So the birth of a child is one of the most intense and emotional experiences in a woman's life. And those extremes in perception can really uh, color how the, the event affects someone physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. So both traumatically experienced childbirth and stressful events in the individual's life story can result in significant psychological impairments postpartum. So uh, postpartum PTSD, approximately 9% of women experience postpartum PTSD, um, and it can be caused by real or perceived trauma during delivery or postpartum. So it can be trauma that you experience yourself or trauma that you witness in a situation or just anything that the body feels this is not right, this is not safe, and you feel like you're powerless, lacking autonomy uh, in a situation that you can't control and it scares you. So that can all lead to trauma. Um, so I'm going to just kind of go over some of the things um, during labor and delivery that could cause trauma. And then Tara, I'm definitely going to let you keep speaking. <laughs> okay. Just setting us up. Um, <laughs> so some specific traumas that could be um, experienced during labor and delivery uh, could be a prolapse cord where there is a potential threat to the baby. It could be an unplanned C-section. So a lot of women go in to their labor and delivery with a birth plan. I highly recommend that every woman have a birth plan, but you also have to be flexible with it. So sometimes things uh, you know, are unplanned. Emergency C-section may be what's best to protect the safety of the woman and the child, um, but that can really rock your world. If that's something that you had not planned for, had not mentally prepared for, and all of a sudden there's people running around your room, you know, getting surgical equipment out, that can be really traumatic. It's something where you might feel powerless, might feel that your safety is at risk or that of your baby, and it can really have some traumatic uh, you know, impacts on you. Also physical trauma, so the use of a vac uh, vacuum extractor or forceps during delivery of a baby, that can create trauma to the body, uh, can create tearing. So those are things that a pelvic health physical therapist can definitely help with. Um, if your baby has to go into the NICU for whatever reason, uh, that can also be a huge trauma to a mother who, uh, you know, just went through this whole journey of delivering a child into the world. And now you have this flood of thoughts like, is my baby okay? Is my baby safe? Where is my baby? Just that feeling of powerlessness again. Um, so if there's poor communication or a lack of support during the pregnancy or labor, of or labor and delivery, that can also lead to a sense of trauma um, because it's a loss of agency. So agency is a sense of feeling in charge of your life, knowing that you have a say in what happens to you or knowing that you have the ability to shape circumstances. Um, and then also women who've experienced a previous trauma, uh, perhaps maybe a rape or a sexual abuse, they are at a higher risk of experiencing postpartum PTSD because the body keeps score. The body houses all these traumas, the body remembers. So if you have a trigger such as labor and delivery, um, that can trigger past traumas that your body has housed and that it remembers. And that can come up again. And it'll be something that 
um, like you'll definitely want to work through. Uh, and then also just some other complications that could occur during labor and delivery. So physical trauma could also include um, hemorrhages, unexpected hysterectomies, uh, preeclampsia, perineal trauma. So that tearing that we already talked about. So there's basically pregnancy, labor and delivery, postpartum. There's a lot of opportunity for trauma. Um, but there's also a ton of opportunity for amazing things. And hopefully, you know, our wish is that no woman has to experience any of these traumas in her life. But if this does happen, uh, I think that education is key, knowing that knowledge is power and that women who've experienced these traumas are not powerless. They have a community that they can reach out to support, whether it's friends, family, or if they need to go online and find a community. And we'll talk about that later. Um, and just knowing that, you know, there, my belief is that there, there is a reason for pain and suffering um, and that it's, it's kind of up to you and your journey to you know, find the purpose of the pain um, in some way. So that's kind of a setup for, you know, why we're having this discussion. Uh, but Tara, I would love to hear from you. It's just kind of your definition of what trauma is. Um, yeah, so for me, um, I mean, trauma is just really just an event that does harm, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, and like you said earlier, it can harm us in multiple ways, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and this trauma can grow. Um, you know, it just doesn't stay at like a little pea size. Um, and it can like really bury itself as well, especially if we don't address it right away. It can bury itself like deeper into ourselves, into like what we call like the cracks. And it can hold itself in organs and body parts, um, energetically in our minds. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so what you're saying about how, you know, the body can hold trauma, it can be stored in organs or soft tissue. Um, when we talked over the phone, I shared with you kind of a clinical story of how I witnessed that in real life, actually on three different occasions, um, while I was using a dry needling technique with three different clients. Uh, two were female and one was male. This is at different parts of my career, different points in time but each scenario is kind of the same. So um, dry kneeling for anyone who's not really familiar with this, uh, it's essentially a needling technique. Uh, it's similar to acupuncture, but it's kind of like the Western equivalent. So it's backed by all this scientific research. Uh, you need to be certified in dry needling, follow the scope of practice within each state in order to practice ethically. Um, and really it's a means to decrease pain within the body, uh, to help the body relax. It can be used for trigger point releases, all sorts of things. So in these three scenarios, uh, actually in all three, I was needling in the groin area, so inner thigh and also the low back. And um, this had not been the first time that these individuals had been needled before. We had done it you know, sometimes before, so usually it's about six to eight dry needling sessions is kind of the average for results. 
so they'd all experienced it before, had no issue with it, enjoyed it, were eager to have the treatment again. Uh, but in each of these circumstances, like out of nowhere, all of a sudden, these individuals just started weeping. And the first time I saw this happen, I freaked out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you okay? What's happening? I'll take these needles out. And um, the first time it happened, it was a female client. She said, no, like, I, I'm fine. Like, I'm not in any pain. Everything's okay. I just, I don't know why I'm crying. I can't stop. Um, so I took out all the needles because I was just like freaking out and um, like she couldn't really tell me what was wrong. Like she wasn't in any pain. Everything was fine, but it wasn't. Um, and then later she came back and she was like, hey, I, I want to talk to you about something and revealed to me that she had been a victim of abuse as a child. And it had been something that you know, she was in her 60s now. So this happened long ago. It's something that had been repressed again and again and again. But because of the nature of where we were needling and, uh, you know, being an invasive procedure, these are very thin needles, you hardly feel it, if at all. Um, but because of that, we had kind of uh, like unlocked or unleashed that trauma that she was housing in her body. And all of a sudden she was experiencing this huge, like emotional energetic release and had no idea what was happening. And at the time I didn't either, I was freaking out. Um, but yeah, so like what were you saying about how the body can hold trauma within our visceral organs, within our soft tissues, that's so true. And especially if we think about you know, areas in the body where we hold stress, maybe not even, you know, trauma, but, you know, we know that the body holds stress. Everyone, you know, for the most part knows that like you hold a lot of stress in your upper traps. Uh, mm -hmm. Women hold a lot of stress in their pelvic floors and their inner thighs, uh, which is really interesting. So if you experience a lot of trauma during childbirth, uh, you know, it's very common for the pelvic floor to shut down in a way for you to lose that brain body connection with your pelvic floor because you've experienced so much pain and trauma there that the brain wants to protect you. So it kind of severs that tie. Um, and that can be really detrimental because if you don't have control of your pelvic floor, you lose bowel and bladder control, you lose um, the ability to hold your organs up inside your body, to control your pressure system, to have a strong core, to support your spine. So all this stuff, uh, which is basically what I do. So <laughs> as a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, but yeah, love what you said about that. I completely agree. And it's interesting how a lot of the things that you and I have talked about, uh, you kind of have this energetic, you know, soulful connection to trauma and understand how that works. And mm -hmm. I'm realizing the more that I practice that I see these same things that you're talking about being played out physically. So it's good to be able to understand kind of both sides of that and get a greater perception and picture of what trauma, it, trauma is and the holistic effect that it has on the entire body uh, or the entire person, mind, body, and spirit. So glad we can talk about this. <laughs> You're welcome. So I know some other things you were telling me about. Um, you were talking about dissociation um, and also uh, I think it was, was it like soul loss or something yeah. like that? Can you talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. Um, so trauma can also um, be recognized as like soul sickness mm -hmm. and soul loss. Um, 
Because what happens to us when we experience a trauma, um, I always use like the vehicle one because it's, it's easier to comprehend. So when you're driving along and you get into a car accident and your car rolls down an embankment, um, right away, when you finally come to, you don't remember where you are. Um, that doesn't necessarily always mean that you have a concussion. It can also mean that part of your soul has escaped your body so that you don't experience the full trauma. Um, this happens to children as well. When they're in abusive parents, they go, they run and they hide behind a couch or a closet and part of their soul actually escape their body um, during the abuse because they don't want their own soul part to experience the full trauma. That's why as they get older, um, even into adulthood, they don't remember the whole experience. They just remember bits and pieces. That's because they've lost that soul part. And so as adulthood, and shamanic work we would have to go and go into a sacred space and retrieve that soul because not all soul parts return back to the body some of them do um and so sometimes there can be that a little bit of that dissociation as well because then that soul part's like wait a second who am i yeah. um, which also leads into that's why so many uh Teenagers these days, teenagers, young adults, um, unfortunately take their own lives because they don't know who they are anymore. Whether they've been through war or um, a traumatic experience, they've experienced some sort of soul loss. And so as they get older, they don't know where they fit in. They don't know where they belong. Um, they don't know who they are. They don't feel like themselves. And unfortunately, it can end in a tragic loss. Yeah, that's, that's terribly sad. Um, you're talking about creating a sacred space. What does that look like? Yeah, so a sacred space is really just creating space um, for protective reasons. Um, it really is for clients and the shaman or any healer. Um, yogis do it, um, those who meditate should be doing it because you're also exposing yourself to reality, but also reality within yourself. So creating space would just be really calling in your guides, your belief, whatever your belief would be. Um, you know, it could be Buddha, it could be God, it could be Shiva, any, anyone, <laughs> no matter what your belief is. Uh -huh. And just creating that sacred space to prevent any like, um, energetic harm, any, um, anything evil or like demonic, anything that's like energetically harmful. Um, it prevents them from like coming in. That's how sometimes people get, uh, controlled by demons. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, if they're around someone and that demon's like, can get absorbed into you if you allow it um but most people don't know that yeah, they have something I'm, wrong I'm with them. exorcisms in africa <laughs> you did? 
flashbacks. I'm gonna have to come see you, Tara. <laughs> you did? Did you have one? Oh, I mean, like not not done to me. No, oh. <laughs> let's clear that up. I've never, okay. no, I've seen, I've witnessed, not personally. <laughs> yeah, um, I've personally experienced it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, um, in a pilgrimage in Colorado. Yeah, I I had to. I was yeah. had to go through it because it was attacking mom, the other girls that were on the trip as well. And so I was told that like either you do it and you move forward and you let go of it or you keep repeating the same patterns and not yeah. moving on in life. And I was like, no, get it out of me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. And I was like freaking out because you know, growing up religious, it's very like, you know, um, as long Taboo as you carry, yeah, as long as you like carry a Bible with you, like, uh, you'll be fine. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> that's that's it's not always how it is. Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess we should just start talking about religion now. Just kidding. <laughs> Maybe some other time. But I mean, like, you know. Even Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness by Satan and demons for 40 days. So, right. yeah, spiritual warfare. Um, you know, if you believe in, you know, spiritual energies, uh, yeah. I mean, that's something that attacks the body. The body is energy. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty weird. Like, yeah, I at one point... I thought for sure the light bulbs were going to blow because oh. it was so intense. Whoa. It was at nighttime, so. Uh -huh. um, yeah, everything creepy always happens at night. <laughs> yeah. I've watched the movies. Yeah, I know how this happens. <laughs> um, and it actually, it just so happened beforehand, I had a migraine I could never get rid of. Mm. And then once, like, it left, uh, well, they took it out of me. Um, I no longer had a migraine anymore. Oh, so yeah. some somatic uh, symptoms from, you know, some demon possession. Yeah. Body keeps score. <laughs> I bet that left some trauma. <laughs> I'm trying to segue. <laughs> That's super interesting. We're going to have to talk about that more for sure. Um, all right. Let me see where we are. Uh, oh, yeah. So you were also talking about, uh, when we talked before, you were talking about ancestral trauma. Yes. Which I found really interesting. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so not all trauma has to happen in our present life. Uh, growing up as children, we can also inherit trauma um, and inherit medical conditions as well. Um, and this isn't just through the genes. Um, let's say that our grandmother or our great-grandmother um, had experienced a car accident with an 18-wheeler. Um, if that trauma is not acknowledged and healed, um, it can be passed down. And so that when we're born, we have this fear of 18-wheelers, but we don't know why. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Um, and we can't explain it. We're just like, I don't know. I've, I've always hated it. Uh -huh. you, know, you, you ever hear that? You're like, I don't know. I've always hated it. Yeah, yeah. 
okay, well, there's, there's an underlying source somewhere. There's always a source of trauma, whether it's in this life or in our grandparents' life. Um, there's always a source somewhere. Um, another explanation can also be with racism. Um, you know, we always see that little ad where like babies aren't racist, not born racist. It's ingrained in us. And that's true as well. Um, you know, we're not born racist, but it's a learned habit. Mm -hmm. And so that can also be ingrained in us with continued. That's why we have to stop the patterns of what's no longer helping us, but rather hurting us. Mm. Yeah. So essentially by stopping those patterns in ourselves and healing ourselves, we're healing our entire family line in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it takes a really strong person to say, okay, here's all the things that I was predisposed to trauma wise, but like, you know, it ends with me and the healing starts with me right now. Like I don't have to continue in these patterns. I don't have to pass it on to my own children. Uh, so that's huge. Uh, it takes a strong, a, a strong-willed, but also um, like a flexible, open-hearted person. Um, yeah. A very compassionate and understanding person. Because sometimes when we have to go back, when we have to expose ourselves to where the source of trauma is, and that that's where it all happens, we have to be accepting and acknowledging that our favorite grandfather isn't so great you know um we have to be still holding unconditional love and compassion for everyone mm -hmm. uh, through it all yeah, yeah. And i feel like that was the the biggest experience with me was having to stay open-minded and open-hearted through it all and to be patient and to uh, take it day by day, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's a long healing process when you get into ancestral healing. It's, it's a long healing process. It's not like a, a one and done and that's it. Everything's fine and dandy. Mm -hmm. You have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about this one research article that I had read before this was years ago and I also heard someone talking about it on a podcast and what you're saying just reminded me of it but um, the person that was being interviewed on the podcast uh, he was the researcher um, and the psychiatrist psychologist oh, I always get psychiatrist and psychologist confused he was the guy in charge <laughs> and, uh, um, he was working with this young girl who she had a history of self-abuse and she had a history of cutting and he was talking to her during one of their sessions and he was asking her you know what thoughts go through your head when you cut yourself and she said there's this repeating phrase that goes through my head when I cut myself and it's this phrase that I don't deserve to live and um, the person who was working with her was like well why don't you feel that you deserve to live because you have a loving family, you know, you are doing well in school, you have your whole future ahead of you. Like there's been nothing in your life that 
has been traumatic. You haven't been in a car accident. Like, you know, nothing, what has happened that you feel this way? And she, she didn't know, like, she just knew that, like, she wanted to feel this pain. And every time that she did it, this just phrase on repeat through her mind that she doesn't deserve to live. So by kind of tracking through her ancestral history, this researcher discovered that her grandparents had been in a car accident and her grandma and her grandpa, her grandpa had been driving and, um, something, I don't remember all the details, something had happened, but uh, he, the grandpa had died and the grandma survived. And um, so this researcher kind of working through this story and working with this individual realized that she was basically taking on the trauma of both of her grandparents. Um, so her grandma for the longest time struggled with the fact that she survived, her husband died. And she felt that, you know, she didn't deserve to live. She should have died as well. Um, so, like, the, she was kind of reliving all of this trauma and it had been passed on to their grandchild. So, um, I don't remember all the ins and outs of this uh, research paper and the guy that was interviewed on the podcast. But I think he did something where he, like, took these footprints and put them on the floor and basically guided this individual through this process of like, you know, this is your grandpa, uh, like, what do you want to say to him? And then another set of footprints, like, this is your grandma, what do you want to say to her? What do you hear from them in return? And, you know, it was basically like her grandpa telling her, you don't need to take on the pain that I felt. This isn't your pain to take. It's mine. I took it. I'm in a better place. You know, that whole thing, like, this pain doesn't belong to you. And then her grandma essentially telling her, you know, I've, I've felt this way my whole life that I didn't deserve to live, but you do, you know, this shouldn't be something that holds you back in life. Don't take my trauma. This was mine to bear, mm -hmm. uh, you know, go live your life sort of deal. So that was just something that I thought of um, when you were mentioning those examples. Hmm. So I'm guessing then that, um, her mother was born after the trauma, mm, or like maybe. she was pregnant um, with her mother, um, just because, I mean, ancestors can always like visit us anytime, <laughs> really. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't remember all the ins and outs. I just yeah. remember that was something that was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's why, too, like why we can carry guilt and fear. Um, you know, babies, I'm going to go back to babies again. Babies are born fearless. <laughs> they really are. And so when we're born and our grandparents are feeling the guilt of something, um, that can be brought down from grandmother to mother to child. Yeah. Um, so when you're working with individuals and helping them work through their trauma and find healing, what does that process look like when you're working with someone one-on-one? -on -one? Mm. Um, I would say work, I mean, everyone's different. So all the sessions are going to be different. Um, really, it's more like intuitive, um, most importantly, 
I sit down with them one-on-one. -on -one. Before that, there's always a paperwork that needs filled out. Um, it asks many different questions. Um, any abuse, um, not just like the present day abuse, but any like abuse in the past. Um, questions. <laughs> questions. Uh. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, there's also. So the night before, which I don't, I think, I don't think I told you this. The no. night before, no. <laughs> <laughs> the night before, um, I always put an intention. Hmm. Like, what do I need to know about this person? And I'll actually have the client do that as well. The night before our first session, set an intention. Like, what do you want healed? And I'll also put in a set an intention say like, what does this person need healed? Because I mean, people can have like an array of things, of problems. <laughs> so we're gonna like narrow it down to uh -huh. one. And that's what I do the night before. So really I sit in meditation. Um, it can come to me through meditation. It can come to me through dreams. So also I recommend that Clients have journals that way the next morning, hey, what did you dream about? And we'll go over that in the first session because sometimes people will be like, well, I don't think that's that important, but really, you know, the color blue is important mm -hmm. <laughs> for whatever reason. But, um, and then we'll discuss uh, the paperwork, um, intuitive questions um and then it would be more about whatever they answer mm -hmm. be more about um will depend on how we work that day so every session's going to be different mm -hmm. Yeah, and I imagine that the period of time that you work with someone that also differs from person to person and, you know, what kind of trauma they're looking for healing from. Right. Um, I mean, it can range to 12 weeks. It could be range from 12 weeks to a year. Mm -hmm. um, now, that would be like if I were to see them once a week. Mm -hmm. So it would be, be like 12 weeks um, with like continued support or it could be 24 weeks and then the rest continues support. It will, yeah, everyone will vary. Mm -hmm. Cool, and then also like you're a Reiki master as well. So do you ever use any of those techniques within your sessions with clients? I do, um, and later on you'll experience this in meditation. <laughs> Perfect, excellent. So. Uh, Yes. For uh, anyone who may not know what Reiki is, could you kind of describe that a little bit? Yeah, so Reiki is an Eastern um, healing technique where there are seven energies, centers. It can extend out to hundreds, but there are seven main ones. Um, you have your root chakra, which sits below the pelvis. 
that deals with manifesting, grounding. Um, we have our sacral chakra, which sits two inches below the navel. So think of like between the hips there. That deals with maternal. So if you have mother problems, you're gonna have like hip problems. Um, it also deals with creativity. That's your creative center, uh, your sexuality center. And then you have your solar plexus, which sits in your stomach diaphragm area. So that deals with the pride, self-esteem, uh, insecurities. And then you have your heart chakra, which is self-explanatory. It sits on your heart there. Mm -hmm. And that sits in the center of your chest. And that deals with feelings, um, emotions. And then you have your throat chakra, which sits at the base of your throat, right there above like your clavicle there. And that deals with speaking. So for those who are shy, that can be very closed off. Mm -hmm. And then you have your third eye, which sits like right above here. And that's more intuitive. And then your crown chakra sits right above your head, crown area, but that deals with knowledge, mm. faith, and all that. Mm -hmm. um, so these chakras are essentially energy centers, correct? Yes, okay. these are energy centers. You can't, you know, see it, feel it. Oh, well, you can kind of feel it, but yeah, it's been interesting because um, I think. Sometimes it takes a while for modern technology to catch up to what ancient traditions have been practicing for thousands of years and what they have found to be true in the body by personal experience and by years of, you know, trial and error and recording all this. So it's interesting and I don't have the resource on me, but um, I know that imaging has been done where they've actually mapped the body um, and mapped uh, you know, energy increases within the body, so uh, increased electrical currents, and they've actually found that each of those chakra energetic centers has increased synapses at each of those places where the ancient tradi traditions have basically, you know, been saying for thousands of years, yes, these exist, like they're important. So it's mm -hmm. interesting how modern technology and science eventually catch up <laughs> to some things that, you know, ancient traditions intuitively know to be true in their mm -hmm. culture. Yeah, it can take like, you know, a thousand years. So hopefully <laughs> not that long. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, yeah, so anything else regor uh, regarding Reiki that you'd like to share? Um, like I said, it can, those are the seven main centers and it can actually extend farther up the crown. Um, there's so much more about the crown because then they extend out from the crown, out from the root, the heart. So there's so much more. Um, they, because they're energy, they can also become unbalanced as well. Uh, when we were on the phone, I think you did talk about leaky gut syndrome. Mm, yeah. Yes. Um, that also deals with the solar plexus because the solar plexus deals with gut health, our gut feeling, what we yeah. call it, when something doesn't feel right. 
and we do it anyways. We're like, I knew it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. That's that gut feeling that we have. That's the solar plexus. Um, it's a very strong intuitive. Um, even though we do have our third eye, you know, our mind can play tricks as well. Yeah. The solar plexus. It's like your internal gut mind. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because the solar plexus is basically housed within the gut. Mm -hmm. And uh, within the past few years, researchers have realized that the gut is essentially our second brain because mm -hmm. it's this area of intense uh, connection within our neural system. And there is this huge pathway of communication that goes from the gut, from every visceral organ in your body and sends information to the brain and they can influence each other. So, you know, your gut influences your moods and your thinking. So if you've ever felt heartbreak, that is, you know, that visceral reaction, that's that enteric nervous system within your solar plexus, your gut, um, you know, your GI that is basically sending these signals to your brain and communicating to your brain, you know, butterflies in your stomach. Um, and yeah, on the phone, we were talking about like leaky gut and like IBS and how a lot of these things are basically umbrella terms in the medical world, because there's all of these, um, you know, symptoms that people are experiencing more and more related to the GI. So like food allergies, food sensitivities, uh, nausea, leaky gut, all these things. And, you know, doctors aren't really sure how to diagnose a lot of these things because it's patterns and symptoms that they haven't seen before. They don't really make sense. We don't have a diagnostic code for them. You know, we can't give them a number, uh, which correlates to a medication. So what do we do with these people? And it's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and, you know, it, I think it may be worth looking into these subtle energies and, you know, our body is energy. Our heart operates off of electrical signals. You know, our skin has an electric charge. Everything in us is energy. Every cell in our body vibrates with an electric frequency. You know, these are things we know um, and things that like have been proven time and again in science. These are in our kids' science books. Well, we don't have kids, but you know, our hypothetical kids' science books. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, yeah, I think it's, it's worth looking into, you know, working with an energetic healer or a light healer or someone who can tap into those ancient methods because, like I said before, I think eventually our medical world and our, you know, our research is going to catch up um, mm -hmm. and show that there is a lot of science to this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's like um, talking about mothers when they have that motherly sense about something, like yeah. something's not right. Of course, like something isn't right. That's that, you know, that solar plexus meeting with the sacral, that something just isn't right because they also have that maternal instinct. Mm -hmm. And so the, the sacral chakra is connecting, you know, well, communicating with the solar plexus that something just isn't right. Um, we always talk about our moms having that, like, the eyes behind the head. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so Not get anything past mama. <laughs> so that's a good explanation because um, our mothers are that intuitive. So wherever our chakras are, it's also on the back of us. Mm. It's also in alignment with our spines. 
So if I were to put like a rod between my third eye, there would be a third eye spot in the back of my head. So that's why moms have like that third eye instinct. Oh, eyes in the back of their head. It's true. <laughs> oh yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So it's been awesome because uh, like hearing from you, all of like the subtle energies, the spiritual soulful connection behind trauma. Um, and I also wanted to, if I could just take some time to share kind of the science that we do have about trauma. And just from a purely scientific physiological standpoint, just kind of give that definition of trauma as well. Um, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so basically, I loved that you kind of segued me into this because I was like, oh, I want to talk about this, but I don't know when I should bring it up. And then Tara, you were like, oh, the gut, like the solar plexus. And I was like, yes, okay, she gave me the in. Let's talk about this. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I'm kind of obsessed <laughs> with like gut health, the second brain, which is in the GI system, um, and like the nervous system and that connection that it has. So um, basically from a physiological standpoint, when we talk about trauma, um, basically the autonomic nervous system, which is the nervous system that we don't have conscious control of. It's the nervous system that, you know, tells our heart to keep beating without us having to, you know, think every second, like, okay, remember to beat my heart. So I stay alive. It's that, uh, nervous system that tells our lungs to inflate, um, and to compress without us thinking, oh yeah, remember to breathe. Though some of us should actually be re reminding ourselves to breathe because as Americans, we're terrible breathers, but maybe we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this autonomic nervous system basically regulates uh, these three fundamental levels of physiological uh, states as it regards to stress. So in terms of trauma, the autonomic nervous system follows this three-step plan. So when we first feel threatened, our first instinct is to turn to that first level, which is social engagement. Um, and women tend to do this uh, a lot more effectively and efficiently than men do, but men do it too. Um, so we call out for help, we call out for support, we try to find comfort in those around us. But if no one comes to our aid or we're in immediate danger, then we kind of revert back to those primitive states of our mind, our limbic system. Um, and we engage our sympathetic nervous system and this is where fight or flight comes in. So we either fight our attacker or we run for safety. However, if this fails, if we can't get away, if we feel held down, trapped, whether this is physically held down or trapped or emotionally, energetically held down or trapped, you know, in a situation where we feel powerless to do anything, whether it's things we brought before, like our baby being taken to the NICU and we can't do anything about it and we need answers and we're scared, that's, you know, that trauma that where fight or flight fails, we feel powerless, we're held down, we can't do anything about it, we're lacking our autonomy. Um, or, you know, going in with a birth plan and realizing it has to change and not being prepared for that change, not being able to pivot into a new mental state and be like, okay, well, this is, this is okay. This is going to be okay. It doesn't matter that I prepared for, you know, something for nine months and now it's all going to shambles. Like that's okay. Uh, and the same thing with miscarriages too. Um, you know, that's something that is not planned. It's a terrible thing to happen. Um, and the way that your body responds to that 
can be super powerful. So that can be a really powerless feeling situation, realizing that, you know, all of these images that you've built up in your mind of what your life is going to be like, the life that you're going to try and create and plan for your child, it isn't going to happen. Those images aren't going to be reality. That's something really tough and it can feel powerless. Your autonomy, your control over the situation has been taken away. So when we can't fight it, when we can't run from it, uh, the third stage is this freeze or mental collapse. Um, and it's basically what's happening in the body is that metabolic centers are being shut down. Uh, the body's trying to conserve as much energy as possible. And um, one of the key nerves that manages this whole process in these three levels of mental and physical and you know, emotional states is the vagus nerve, which is my favorite nerve in the entire human body. Uh, and if anyone looks into this nerve and all the amazing things that it does, it will become your favorite too. And then we can start a, a Vegas nerve club or something. <laughs> we can talk about it all the time and it'll be just like the greatest thing ever. Um, anyway, yeah, taking applicants for the Vegas nerve club later. <laughs> Um, but the vagus nerve is, it's a cranial nerve. So it's one of the 12 nerves that originate in your brain, your brain stem exits through your skull, and then uh, creates a pathway to different organs in your body, or uh, different structures to control different things throughout the body. So the vagus nerve is this main control and command center, this avenue of communication uh, to all the visceral organs in your body. So your heart, your lungs, your spleen, your appendix, your stomach, any organ you want to name, bladder, uh, vagus nerve touches it and communicates with it. And then it sends all this information back up to the brain. So researchers have actually found that this pathway between uh, the visceral system, the solar plexus, the second brain, and the first brain uh, that is uh, connected through the vagus nerve. Basically, the vagus nerve is taking 90% or I should say 90% of the information that the vagus nerve passes between the two is information that's solely being passed from the viscera, from the organs, to the brain. So your organs have this huge, huge um, influence over our brains, which is crazy. And that's why trauma has such a visceral, vis visceral reaction to it and how like you can actually feel your heart sink or you can mm -hmm. feel you know like you may lose bowel or bladder control you may be so scared that you pee your pants sort of deal mm -hmm. so these things happen um, and it, it makes sense uh, scientifically so the vagus nerve I'm just gonna keep on going on this vagus train yeah. so, <laughs> so the vagus nerve is basically broken down into sections because in science, uh, you know, in Western science, we love to break things down. We love to pigeonhole things and give things titles. So we've done it with the vagus nerve, um, but it, it makes a lot of sense. So in the vagus nerve, there's this ventral vagal complex. And this complex, essentially, it interacts with the subtle cues of human connection and compassion. So it's that thing like where if someone smiles at you, you feel drawn to smile back. Or if you're listening to someone intently, you feel drawn to nod and you kind of do this subconsciously. Mm -hmm. uh, this is human connection uh, happening. 
And this is the work of the ventral vagal complex. Um, so the ventral vagal complex, VVC, it basically sends signals to our heart and our lungs to slow them down when we feel this connection uh, with another human being. So it helps us feel calm, relaxed, safe, understood, and supported. So any threat to our safety or social connections triggers changes in the VVC. Our heart starts to race, our breath increases, um, and we start to display at first certain facial features uh, in a call for help. So you could look upset on your face, you could look pale, your tone of voice might change, it might get a higher pitch or be shaky. Uh, these are all subtle energy calls for help from other people looking for social support. The body is looking for social support because that's the first level when the body experiences trauma. First thing it's going to look out for is who can come to help me. I need help. I need connection. I need human compassion. I need help. Um, so if that help doesn't come, we talked about how the limbic brain basically takes over sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight response. Um, and basically the sympathetic nervous system mobilizes our body for action, that action being either fight the attacker or run away. And then again, we talked about if there's no way out, if there's nothing we can do to kind of stave off the inedible, um, then the body activates the ultimate emergency system, which is the dorsal vagal complex. So another part of the vagus nerve and the dorsal vagal complex basically is this part of the vagus nerve that reaches deep below the diaphragm, uh, interacts with the stomach, the kidneys, the intestines. Uh, and this is the part that causes that metabolism to drastically reduce the heart rate plunges, um, the breath, uh, you know, heightens, our gut stops working. So, you know, peeing your pants or if someone scares the poop out of you, literal things like that. And this is the point where we disengage, we collapse and we freeze. And I think kind of bridging what you were talking about, Tara, I, I think from a scientific standpoint, this is probably the point where soul loss occurs, mm -hmm. where we start dissociating from ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that has been talked about in research uh, a lot, um, talking about how, you know, we, we lose a part of ourselves. I think it's called, uh, deep, I don't remember what it's called, but there is a term for, I think it's depersonic personality. No, I'm not sure. Never mind. I'll look that up later. But um, not my area of expertise, but I do like to read about this stuff. Um, but, but also like from a clinician's point of view who works with the human body, this is also where the body starts to shut down, where we have that severing of that brain body connection. Um, and this is huge because if you lose communication with your own body, if you can't connect and communicate to yourself, how can you connect and communicate to other people? Right. I mean, that's huge. Um, and so like in my line of work as a pelvic health physical therapist, I work with a lot of women who have had traumatic births, um, mostly physically traumatic births. And that's why they're seeing me, but there, you know, is almost always some emotional trauma there as well. Um, you know, a birth that didn't go to plan. It wasn't, it didn't go the way that they had prepared for. There was physical trauma, there was tearing, there was, you know, something. And the body has basically, dissociated away from the brain. So all of a sudden this brain body connection to the pelvic floor, to the hips, to the pelvis, 
is not as strong as it once was. There's just some white noise. So in session, I'll be asking women to connect with their pelvic floors. And the best way to do that is to start with the breath. So connecting with a deep breath, um, essentially the diaphragm and the pelvic floor move in sync with each other. So if you can get the breath going, you can get the pelvic floor working. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, these ladies that I'm working with, they have no idea how to take a belly breath anymore. They have no idea how to get their breath down into their pelvis. They, I asked them to contract their pelvic floor and they have no idea how to do that. Um, and it's because of this dissociation between their brains and the trauma that they have experienced in their body. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, and it's also, I know this sounds like a terrible thing to happen. Body dissociation is terrible. But there's also so much hope in this because body dissociation uh, can be easily treated. You know, mm -hmm. connecting us back to our bodies is so important and it's so available to all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and so like from a pelvic health physical therapist uh, standpoint, the way that we start connecting back to those muscles and back to those soft tissues that have been influenced is we start building back, uh, you know, neural communication, building up synapses, start mm -hmm. inviting more and more muscles to the party, building up until we have a fully functioning core. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of what we do. And it's interesting because I hear from your standpoint, um, like addressing that root of the trauma. So from what I hear, basically, in your line of work, you have like this top down approach, like you are like, let's get to the trauma, let's get to the root of this, and let's yeah. fix it. And my approach in my profession is very much a bottom up approach where it's like, okay, well, this is what's resulted from your trauma, let's get this back. Mm. And maybe you will have a greater sense of connection and communication within your own body that you can actually, you know, go through this path of healing and, you know, hear what your body has to say. Mm. And you know, hear what it needs. And maybe what it needs is going to a practitioner like you, Tara, and getting kind of that guidance and that energetic work. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we've come full circle. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So anything else that you would like to add on any of the things we've talked about? I want to make sure that we have some time to get to your meditation. I'm super excited for that. Yeah. Yes, I think everyone's going to love it. Awesome. Um, I mean, really, all in all, I feel like, I mean, I've met so many women and men who are 40, 50 years old and now just healing their trauma. So they have a much longer time frame because they're 40, 50 years old, 60 years old, and they're now have to, he have to heal 60 years worth of trauma. And that's not even including ancestral trauma. Right. That's just their life. So um, I'm 29, I'm healing 29 years before. <laughs> so from my 29 years of experience of healing 29 years worth of work, you know, I didn't live a very traumatic life, but traumatic things have happened. Um, and from my work with them and myself, 
what I've learned the most is to be patient um, when it comes to healing, especially with pregnant women and their trauma. It takes you nine months to heat to birth. Mm-hmm. Human to create being. another human within yourself. Yeah, yeah. it takes <laughs> months, so it's okay if it will take you nine months to get your body back to where it was working. Mm. Um, there's not a huge rush to heal. There's there's not a huge rush. Um, you make time for it. You allow it to heal. I feel like that's another thing that our world we don't allow ourselves time to heal because we think that we have to be perfect moms perfect parents okay we have to get back to work we have to like um, super mom gotta do it all yes um they are non-existent that is why wonder woman is non-existent Uh (laughs) she is she is fictional true yeah because, because you can't accomplish what wonder woman does accomplish that's why she's fictional. Um, <laughs> and so allow yourself to take time to heal. Um, I think it would be pretty amazing if mom and baby could just like be alone for like first two weeks mm. after birth, just them two just to get that like mother and child or children depending how many babies you have at once like mother and child um that connection because i feel like too that connection is kind of disconnected a little bit when we come home from the hospital and we have to take care of other kids um husband pets house needs fixed and clean like right away sometimes when we go home we're like oh we can't focus on the baby we have to focus on all these other things because the house is a mess um and so i feel like if mom and baby could just you know take like the first two weeks to what we call integrate integrate what we just went through and just let ourselves like integrate energetically emotionally physically spiritually just integrate those first two weeks. I feel like we would have moms who are um, less stressed, um, heal quicker. The baby would heal quicker, the mom would heal quicker. Um, We would be more focused on being in the present moment rather than what needs to get done in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I agree. And it's also interesting because, I mean, what you said sounds like such a fantasy within our culture, but the reality is within other cultures, this is actually the norm. Yeah. So, um, I have a friend who's from Nepal and I think it was the first three weeks she basically got waited on hand and foot by her family members. Uh, She, you know, they cooked, they cleaned. She basically sat with her baby and just, you know, her only focus, the only thing she was expected to do was to just be, to be with her baby. That was it. 
and to you know take that time to integrate the experience that she had because it is a trauma uh there's nothing about labor and delivery that is easy it's it's a it's a huge physical effort from your body and also from your mind as well um so thinking that we can just jump back into regular day life and i mean that's that's the insanity that's the insane mm -hmm. part actually so i loved what you said tara i know like it sounds like fantasy but there are other cultures that have been doing it just like you said for for generations upon generations and i think that you know just because we've been doing something a certain way for so long and well actually for our culture not very long at all doesn't mean that it's that it's the best way it doesn't mean that it's the yeah. ideal and there's always room for change but it takes a very brave person to initiate change um but i mean thankfully in the world of pelvic health and women's health i see change every day uh i see you know pelvic health is becoming way less of a taboo people are talking about it and i'm of a full belief that knowledge is power and the more that we can make these conversations happen just you know in everyday life like what you and i are doing tara like having this conversation and allowing women across the world to be a part of it that's right. that's insane that's that's where change happens I mean, we're changing the world right now. So, and everyone who's listening, you are a part of that world change. So yeah, I think that's super powerful. Um, I kind of feel, how do you feel about saving your meditation to the very end? I just have some yeah. questions that some of our community members have asked. I want to make sure they go answered and then maybe we'll end with your meditation. And uh, yeah, okay, sweet. So. Great. <laughs> I'm enjoying this so much. Um, so two of the members from our core four community, uh, they had some questions regarding trauma. So these questions are coming from Mary and from Chalice. Um, and they wanted to know some of the best treatment for trauma, specifically for miscarriages and how moms can get access to it. Um, so hopefully a lot of that question, uh, like a big chunk of that question has been answered throughout our conversation. I think it has. Um, you know, there's this top down approach of, um, you know, working towards uh, digging into the root of the trauma, which is what you do, Tara, and then kind of that bottom up where uh, what I do is work through the physical aspect of that trauma. Um, so, uh, so if you or someone you know is in need of help or support in their postpartum journey, uh, there are some resources. So you can visit the Postpartum Support International website which is postpartum.net. And through that website, you're able to find local support in your area. So whether it's support groups, because we know that human interaction and human connection is one of the most important things for healing. So we were, we were built with this innate human need for community and connection. Um, we need to feel that safety of that, uh, you know, that safety and securities in our first chakra. Huh? Yeah, bring it around back. <laughs> um, so we need to feel that um, in order to have a safe place to explore our traumas and to heal through them. Um, and then also in terms of miscarriage, if you are someone you know has experienced a miscarriage, one of the best sites to go through for more research, for connection, for support, uh, for more knowledge, which creates power and autonomy, um, a good website to go for that is mymiscarriagematters.org. So that's mymiscarriagematters.org. 
Um, and then also just realizing uh, that trauma doesn't define you, but it is a part of your story and every part of your story is important. So that's something that I tell women all the time um, that I'm working with. So uh, just finding that purpose in the pain is the journey that each of us has to take. We all have trauma of some kind in our life and it's not an obstacle. It can be a pathway to living a greater life if we can find that purpose through the pain. Um, so also social support. So reach out to uh, your friends, uh, especially moms who have just given birth. Reach out to them. Allow them to feel seen and heard and understood. Be that social support um, and that person to develop reciprocity of, you know, a sense of feeling of belonging and being understood that every human needs. That power of human connection is so strong uh, in terms of healing. Um, and then for women or anyone who's experienced trauma, it's not uncommon to feel out of sync. So what Tara was describing about her brother and you know, him feeling kind of closed off to the people that loved, you know, love and care about him. And, you know, he loved and cared about them in return, his family, his friends. Um, it can be difficult to explain to people who have not been through the same trauma that you have, um, you know, to explain what you're feeling and what you need. And that's why support groups can be so great because it allows you to feel, you know, seen and heard in a space where people can actually uh, empathize with what you've experienced. And there's definitely power in that. So you can go to those two websites uh, in order to find a support group. Again, those websites were postpartum.net or mymiscarriagematters.org. And yeah, uh, there are some resources. Anything you want to add to that, Tara? If not, we can go right into your meditation because I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> no, we can go straight into it. Uh, All right, sweet. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So set us up. So, okay. so basically, so guided meditation, you said, is something that you use during your um, shamanic healing practices, right? And this is a way to allow people to go through that journey towards healing, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yep. So um, you can just like sit and close your eyes. Um, and then you just take a deep breath in. Exhale. Inhale. And exhale. We're just really relaxing ourselves, our minds, our breathing. And I want you to picture a white cloud above the crown of your head. And I want you to extend your head up to that cloud up into the universe and imagine funnel opening and white light comes straight down down into the crown and white is a healing color down to the crown 
down into our third eye, into the front and back. So all our thoughts are just washing away. As it melts our mind, it goes down our face, down our jaw, down the back of our head, down our neck, and it clears out our throat, out the front and the back. So that we can speak our truth. It washes down over our shoulders, down our arms, out the palms and fingertips. And the white light goes down from our throat into our heart and cleans out the front and back of our heart space, out the chest out the back, between our shoulder blades. And from the heart goes down into our diaphragm, in our gut where the solar plexus lies, washing out all our insecurities, our pride, all our fear, of trauma, any trauma that we carried with us post-pregnancy. We can clear out all that fear. And from the solar plexus down into our sacral, we can clear out the front right below the navel and clear out the back right above the back of our hips. We can open ourselves to our maternal instincts, our creative source. And we can let that float down our hips, down our thighs, our knees, down into our feet, And then from the sacral, we'll connect down to our root. We can ground ourselves. And from the root, we're gonna go down through the chair, down through the foundations of the house or wherever you are, down into the ground. And from the ground, we'll go down into the clay, down into the lava, and we'll extend down into the center of the earth. And we'll connect into the center of the earth. And this is where Mother Earth lies. And we'll connect into the center of the earth, into her belly. And as we enter her belly, we can feel her, her compassion, her nurturance, 
her motherly instinct, her unconditional love. We'll just lay in her belly. And as we lay in her belly, we can feel the warmth of her heart, the warmth of her soul. And as we lay here, we too are birthed here. We are a child of the earth. And as we come out of her belly, we stay rooted into her heart and she extends her fiery energy up our root, up through the roots, up through the ground, up through the foundation, the flooring, up into our root and into our root, our sacral, solar plexus, our heart. And we sit there in our own heart. We can feel our chest widening and opening. Extending our own love and compassion into ourselves. And I want you to sit here with your own feelings. How do you love yourself? How do you show love to yourself? How do you show love to others? I want you with your eyes closed, slowly move your fingers, slowly move your toes, Kind of come back into yourself again. You can slowly open your eyes. Welcome back. Good to be here. <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you. So peaceful, so grounding. Mm -hmm. It is. Um, and you can do that anytime, really. Um, whenever you're feeling stressful, Whenever you feel like you're having an off day um, during this quarantine, you can do that every day. Keep <laughs> <Just laughs> your sanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I loved how there was just this grounding and reconnection with all these different parts of the body, which yeah. is so important. So, you know, mm -hmm. where your focus goes, that's where the energy follows. Um, and 
I think that's why mindfulness meditation can be such a useful uh, modality to use to reconnect with your body after trauma. Um, uh, Also yoga, breathing exercises, uh, Qigong, Tai Chi, anything like that, working with the shaman or an energy worker, Reiki master. Um, That was awesome. Thanks so much, Tara. That was so beautiful. Um, (laughs) I'm in space now. (laughs) Well, yeah. So as we kind of wrap up our discussion today, our interview, is there a big takeaway message that you would like to share with our community? Um, really, just the key is to keep an open mind and an open heart, um, especially when it comes to healing your own trauma, whether it's pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy, postpartum. Um, really just accept yourself. I know it's hard to accept ourselves when we experience trauma. Um, but to truly accept yourself as you are and, in, and really um, be patient during the healing process, no matter what process you decide to take. Uh, there you go. Perfect. Beautifully <laughs> worded. I agree. And my last and final question, I always ask everyone at the end of these interviews, where can our community find you to learn more about what we discussed today and also to reach out to you for guidance? Yes, you can find me on Instagram as well as my own podcast, Serving Those After War. Awesome. Is your Instagram the same handle, Serving Those After War, or is that different? Yes. Yep, they're both the same. Yeah. Oh, easy peasy. <laughs> So Instagram and your podcast, Serving Those After War. I'm definitely going to add that to my podcast list. That's perfect. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Tara. I had such a blast. It was so good to connect with you uh, to talk about trauma and postpartum PTSD. I mean, these are things that we need to talk about. There needs to be more discussion about this in our world. And I'm so thankful and grateful that the two of us could, you know, be some some door holders and open up the door to discussion like this and invite everyone in. So thank you, everyone who's been listening uh, to this conversation and joining in on it with us. Uh, Thank you to our core four community for their awesome questions that we could address today. And um, yeah, thank you so much, Tara, for your willingness to, uh, to be in this discussion and allow me to connect with you. I really appreciate it. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you.